Welcome to the Stockman Grass Farmer Podcast, where our mission is to help create a healthy planet and people through profitable grass-based livestock production. Grass farming is a 24-7 job and you can't always get away, so we've put together this podcast so that you can listen while you work or whatever you're doing, but always on your schedule, whenever and wherever you want. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to freebies and special offers. Join our email family and stay up to date on our happenings and like us on social media. This is part two from SGF's Management Intensive Grazing School with Jim Garish. Be sure to check out part one and part three as soon to come. Take it away, Jim. All right, so um, we have this goal of 33%. So back to our cow example, we, we had the $800 revenue stream per cow. Our overheads were 240. That calculates out to 33%. All right, so, so right now at, or let me say last year, at last year's calf prices and call cow prices, $800 is what a lot of folks were getting as income per cow. Now remember, not every cow, typically, not every cow in the herd has a calf. So even though the value of a calf itself maybe was $800, if only 90% of the cows brought a, 90% of the cows exposed to bulls last year brought a live calf to the weaning pen, that's only 72 calves, which means we don't have $800 uh, income from a calf for every cow. We only have $720 calf income per cow because we had those open cows. What do we do with those open cows? We sell them. And um, so we have this chunk of money. We, and let's just use a 100 cow example. We sold 10 open cows and we got $6,000 for those 10 cows. Uh, we divide that uh, $6,000 by the 100 cows that we exposed to, for breeding and so we have $60 call cow income per cow unit. So we add that to our $720 to the calf. We're now up to $780. Uh, we sold, if we had um, 100 cows, we probably had three bulls. And so we're going to sell one of those bulls each year to replace them, you know, so we have the genetic flow there. And that call bull, maybe he brought uh, in the current market $800 to $900. So we take that $800, divide it by our 100 cows, and we have $8 in bull income. We add that to it, and so here we are sitting at $788 total revenue per cow unit. And that's how we figure what that number is going to be. It is not the price that you can sell one calf for, it is the assigned income from each of these sale types to the number of cows that we expose for breeding. And the back of the envelope accounting that a lot of part-time ranchers do, they take the price of the calf and presume that every cow earned that much money and then they can't figure out why do I have this job in town? It looks like I should have plenty of money but you don't. So $240 overhead, 
And some of you have been in the cattle business for a long time, and you might have a sense of what that number is on your operation. For those of you who are just getting started and thinking about growing a cow herd and getting into this business, to me, that is a reasonable number to be shooting for. So as you start looking at your investment in who's going to be working on this place, what kind of facilities are am I going to build? What kind of equipment am I going to buy? In a good accounting package, you will be able to track those overheads. And if you are doing a planning budget and your overhead per cow that you're looking at is $400, you better relook at what you're doing. Because on the bottom part of the cattle cycle, $400 overhead on a cow is going to be too much unless you're doing certain things. Value added products. As we get into the stock policy and enterprise analysis that we're doing tomorrow, um, you will see in a lot of grass-fed operations, they lose money in the cow-calf phase of their business. They may lose money in the growing phase of their business, but if they're producing high-quality grass-fed beef, premium quality, develop a loyal customer base to where you're getting top dollar for that, the gross margin potential of a well-run grass-fed operation will offset the losses in the cow-calf and the growing sector. But if you're not selling premium price grass-fed beef, you decide, you know, I don't like that marketing. I don't like talking to people. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to sell them wholesale to Thousand Hills Beef. I, the last I knew, and they may have jumped it up a bit now, last I knew, Thousand Hills Beef was only paying 15 cents over commodity finish. That's the bonus. That's the premium their producers were getting. And that probably isn't enough to compensate for losses in the cow-calf and growing sector. You have to be getting something well above. And five years ago, Thousand Hills was at times paying 75 cents. I mean, when they were buying wholesale grass-finished cattle, they were 75 cents over what commodity slaughter price was. And if you're getting that kind of premium, there's a whole lot of stuff you can do and you're going to be able to pay for it. So what the premium for your grass-fed product is, um, you know, drives, you know, some of these decisions here. And I've worked with a, a lot of grass-fed outfits, some of the biggest names in the country, and I always went to them saying, you want to design your grazing program, you want to make the investment in infrastructure that commodity cattle will pay for. If you design those inputs to your business for commodity production, then the payback, if you have a premium valued product, is huge, even more huge than what I showed you on that one example from Montana yesterday where they paid for the fence and water on that uh, four-section pasture in three years' time just from saved feed costs. Okay, so we're going to look at three of these examples of SPA analysis. 
And again, SPA is standardized performance appraisal. Um, was supposed to be the ultimate record-keeping system for the beef industry. About 10% of producers ever adopted it. So 1987-1997, that's ancient history. Why do we waste our time? We, we know we have a dynamic market. We know everything is fluid. We know prices today are way above what they were in this time period. Why do we bother looking at stuff like this? Because before the current cattle cycle that we're in, 87 to 97 was the last run of a classic 10-year cattle cycle. From 97 to about 2008, 2009, the cycle wasn't happening. Everything we thought we knew about how the market was going to respond wasn't working. Why was that? Severe Texas drought in, I think that's 2011, um, the ethanol mandate in 2000, uh, when was that, 2008? Uh, 2007, 2008, that's when, you know, corn prices skyrocketed. So we, we had abnormal things happening and it held prices, you know, kind of at a higher level than we expected for a long time. And then they really shot up in 13, 14, 15, then they came down from there. And a lot of, you know, people were saying, well, the cattle cycle is done. We don't have that structure in the industry anymore. You don't have to worry about that. We've established a new level of pricing and there's nothing's going to change that. As soon as any pundit says, we've established a new basis of pricing and nothing is going to change that, uh, that's the time to sell and, you know, change the business. <laughs> Same thing in the housing market. What were they, the, the realtors telling us? And, 2004, 2005, 2006, buy a house, buy a big house, it's an appreciating asset, it's a great place to put your money, you can't go wrong buying a house right now because look at this market. Um, so um, my wife actually was a real estate broker. I mean she she'd had a fence company in the 1980s, early 90s in Missouri, sold that and that's what became Powerflex fencing for anyone who uh, uh, is familiar with Powerflex fencing. Uh, Dave and Connie Kreider, who owned that business, are the people who bought my wife's fence business in 1993 and then built it into Powerflex. Um, so she became a real estate broker. And so she got the realtor magazines and things, and occasionally I would read them. And I remember in one of her realtor magazines, I think it was 2004, 2005, uh, that, you know, was telling people this is not when you want to be buying a house. If you have ranch property in the West, there would be a great time to sell it because in the time frame, sometime between 2006 and 2010, there will be a major drop in the housing market. It's all over the realtor magazines, yet the realtors are telling us buy houses, buy houses, buy houses. And why did they know that there was going to be a crash in that 2005 to 2010 time period? Because there's a generational real estate cycle. We never learn from our parents. We are all destined to make the same mistake that our parents do. And in our parents' generation, there was a time when the realtors say, it's different. 
invest in a house, it's going to appreciate and great place to put your money. Every approximately 27 to 30 years, there is a housing crash. We didn't used to call them crisis, it was just a housing crash. Now we had a housing crisis. Um, it's predictable. It goes back to the Greeks and the Romans. It is in the writing of you know, some of their economic philosophers from you know, basically the year zero, or in the case of the Greeks, like 300 BC, that talks about real estate cycles based on generational um, failure to learn in generations. 2,000 years, people have known that this is going to happen and we get all bent out of shape because houses lost value in you know, that 2008, 7, 8, 9 time period. Huh. When will they ever learn? I don't know. Okay, so uh, get, let me get back on track. So I use this one <clears throat> because it's the last running of the cattle cycle. It does illustrate a very important concept. So when we look at this bottom line of return on assets, this is not you know, the worst year of the cattle cycle, the best year of the cattle cycle. It's a 10-year running of the cattle cycle, and these are averages. So um, I'm going to start on this top line here. And all three of these uh, assessments are going to be laid out the same way. The bottom 15% of cow-calf producers, the average, and the top 15%. So if we look at pounds weaned per cow exposed, and so this, this is where we're differentiating between weaning weight and the number of pounds that the whole herd weans that we assign back to the cows. So we look at the bottom 15% and we see 413 pounds of weaned calf per cow exposed. The average and the top 15% are up here at 455. Why are these bigger numbers than that number? Anybody think it's heavier weaning weights? Hope you're enjoying the presentation and we'll jump right back in, but I wanted to first remind you to visit the show notes for freebies, deals, and more. While you're there, don't forget to join our email family to stay up to date on all the current events. Now back to the show. More, 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 cow, more cows bred and more live calves brought to the weaning pen. In this assessment, there's no statistical difference in the weaning weights between those three groupings of producers. They're all weaning the same weight of calves but the poor, the bottom 15%, they don't get as many cows bred and they have higher death loss typically at calving time. All right, so that's first thing we see here is it is not weaning weight driving this revenue stream per cow, this number of live calves. Uh, income per breeding female, there's a $100 difference between the top 15% and the bottom 15%. So if we were to look here and say there's a 40 pound differential there, there's a $100 differential there, that makes each pound that those producers, the top end, each additional pound that they're marketing per cow has a value of $2.50. $100 more total revenue, only 40 pounds more a calf, each pound for them is worth $2.50 a pound. What were cattle prices at this time? 
probably um, at the top of the cycle, uh, just over a dollar, dollar five, dollar ten maybe, bottom of the cycle, 70 cents. Yet they're getting 250 a pound value out of it. Well, that's really interesting. And then I highlighted this line here. We look at it. The bottom 15%, $637 cost to carry a cow. The top 15%, $270. I don't know if I can do that math. Is that $350 per cow difference in cost of production? between the high group and the low group, yeah, that's what it is, about 350 bucks. We look at the average here at 386. So through most of the mid 80s, through the 90s, into the early 2000s, we could pre pretty safely say, oh, the average cow-calf producer costs them $350, $400 to carry a cow. And that's exactly where we are. Now, what I find really shocking is that the cost differential between the high profit and the low profit group is equivalent to the total cost of the average producer. That says these people are doing something not very clever. Right now, if we look at the average, so this is 2020, but I'm looking back at 2019, 2018 numbers. Um, if we look at the 2018 U.S. national average cost to carry a cow based on herds greater than 100 cows. Because you know there's a whole lot of 20, 30, 40, 50 cow herds that have ridiculously high costs per cow. So if we drop all of those herds out and look only at herds that have at least 100 cows, in 2018 the average cost to carry a cow in a herd of two of 100 cows or more was about $620. These are people ahead of their time, 30 years ahead of their time, their costs were online with what the average cost is today. So that cost is huge. We look at the net return for breeding females, so if we uh, take the 247 and add it to the 25, $470 difference in net per breeding female with this being losing 250 bucks per cow, this being earning 225. If we look at total investment, so the, these would be the overhead investments per cow, um, the bottom 15%, just not, not hugely higher, but about 140 bucks higher than um, for the uh, bottom group compared to the top group. Now th this is the shocking line. When we look at that return on assets, again, this is a negative return on assets as a loss in equity, 15.5% annual loss in equity, 18% return on investment. I think in any business, 18% return on investment over a 10-year price cycle and production cycle that's a pretty good margin. I'd be happy with that, but my needs are simple. Uh, big, big difference there. And we can see that it's in costs. Now we will begin to think about what are those cost factors that are making a difference. 
So this one, we've at least moved into the 21st century now. This is a five-year window of time. This is strictly Illinois. There's 158 herds in this assessment. Um, again, set up the same way, the bottom 15, the top 15, and then the average. So uh, losing $34,000, earning $21,000. We look at the herd size, and I'm going to ignore the uh, average in here. 185 cows, 200 cows. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure that those other 17 cows here is not the reason for a $50,000 difference in net return. We look at the return on investment, very similar to what we saw from the Montana, Nebraska previous decades cattle cycle numbers. Double digit loss in equity, double digit return on investment. Pounds of calf sold per cow, 427, 506 is our differential. So in the previous slide, there was only 40 pounds difference between the uh, top end and the bottom end in pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed. Now we're looking at 80 pounds difference. Surely there's got to be a difference in weaning weight coming into play now. There is not. Same thing in this study. There was no statistical difference in weaning weight across the three groups. Even more cows bred, even more live calves being brought to the weaning pen. Uh, and then feeder calf price, <clears throat> you know, 99 bucks, 103 bucks. Well, if the weaning weight was the same, uh, that tells us something else is now starting to kick into effect as well. And that is that the top end producers consistently are getting a better price for the same weight cattle compared to the lower profit producers. How are they doing that? Better genetic management is part of it. Packaging the cattle appropriately. Tighter calving season. Just, it's, this is still just strictly commodity calves, but they're adding value to their calf crop on a you know, price received per pound basis because they are doing some good things that the buyers are looking for. So um, those of you who are in the previous study, this is the foundation of the one that I showed yesterday where I talked about um, <clears throat> them looking, the research group looking at 26 different parameters that might be affecting um, profitability. So out of that annual cow cost, um, we can break out the annual feed. And we see between the low profit group and the high profit group, there's about a $110, $112 cost savings uh, in feed costs in the high profit group. And we cannot, out of this particular uh, set of records, actually figure out what is the difference. Where are these people saving their money? In this study, that's not something that they sorted out. <clears throat> so. They did look at those 26 different parameters that they thought might be affecting profitability uh, in statistic modeling, sorted out and ranked them. And the top of the list, 57% of the variation in profitability is explained by feed cost differences in these, across these 158 herds. Weaning weight was less than 5% uh, causal factor for a difference in profitability. 
And as I said to the group yesterday, January rolls around, what shows up in the mail? Your IRS tax forms and your bull sale catalogs. Which is more fun to look at? Bull, bull catalogs are always more fun to look at, but in the sense of how it affects your business, spending January looking at your accounting is a better use of your time than spending it looking at bull catalogs. And again, uh, we had looked at this, this herd size, and it's pretty apparent in the Illinois study that the, the top 15% had, I think it was 202 cows, the bottom 15% had 185 cows, so it was not a scale difference that made that uh, difference. And, you know, less than 1% of the variation in profitability could be explained by the number of cows that that particular operation had. We're going to move to, uh, this was published in 2010. Uh, I don't remember exactly the time frame that it was covering. Uh, so Dallas Mount, David Pratt, Stan Parsons founded Ranching for Profit. David Pratt owned it and ran it for years. David has retired and Dallas Mount is now who owns Ranching RMC, Ranch Management Consultants, and runs the Ranching for Profit schools. Uh, he was 20 plus years extension farm management specialist with University of Wyoming. And so this is work he did when he was with the University of Wyoming. Uh, it's looking at Wyoming and Nebraska herds uh, laid out the same way. We start looking at these numbers and we have suddenly seen a remarkable reversal. The high prof, excuse me, the low profit group, 500 pounds of calf wean per cow, which is similar to the average the top 15%, only 400 pounds of calf weaned per cow, yet we see that they are far more profitable than these ones who are producing 100 pounds of calf more per cow. Help me understand this. What could possibly make that trend reverse that suddenly people producing the lightest calves are the most profitable. All right, she, she's found a point. There's the cost per breeding female, and we see a huge, huge difference in hay. 40 bucks for the high profit group per cow, 257 on the low profit group. So now I have to ask the question, what allows them to do this? How does that work? Are they calving later in the season? This is the first SPA data set we have that is actually a comparison between winter calving, January to March calving, and summer calving, May, June, July calving. Of course you're going to have little calves if you're calving that late, but if you don't have to feed that other $200 in hay, you can live with a smaller calf. And yes, in this one, absolutely, this is a weaning weight effect. Now, these people probably have more live cows coming to the weaning pen because they're calving on green grass and not in the winter. And they are breeding their cows at a time of year where the natural fertility of the cow is going to be at its highest level, which if you don't know when that is, the 
for breeding a cow, her highest natural fertility is at the uh, autumn uh, equinox, around September 21st. That is when a cow is most naturally fertile. And if you didn't know, a sheep is most naturally fertile at the winter solstice. So December 21st is when you have the highest natural fertility in a ewe. And why is that? What's the gestation length of a sheep? 142, 145 days, so just shy of five months. So if you get bread on the winter solstice and your, um, we add, we'll, we'll do five months to it. So we'll go January 21st, February 21st, March 21st, April 21st, May 21st. What's the grass condition in most of the country on May 21st? pretty damn good. If the natural fertility of a cow is highest on September 21st, we add nine and a half months to that, we go, I can do those seasonal things, it's June 21st plus 15 days, or 13 days, depending on what you want to call gestation length, which is the 3rd of July, the 4th of July. If a calf is born, on July 3rd, July 4th, the cow is going to get bred on September 21st, 22nd. It's almost like it was meant to work this way. Why do they talk about calving in sync with nature? Because all wild animals have their babies in the spring. Oh, I should say all wild ruminants have their babies in the spring, typically May, June, a little bit in July, depending on where you are in the latitudes. Um, you know, sheep used to be wild animals, cows used to be wild animals, and so they're evolutionarily programmed to breed at a certain time of the year so that they're ensured that they will give birth when there is available resources for it. And so that's what the, pretty well the complete difference between these two groups is. This is winter calving, that's summer calving. So you kind of know why we promote and push calving in sync with your forage supply? Because it is one of the biggest game changers there is in the profitability potential of the business. Just something to think about. I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, check out the episode notes. And always remember the advice from cows and be outstanding in your field. See you next time.